you are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. And I hope that you're all going to listen in this morning. Just lean forward into the word this morning. Because there's something that unlocks in your life when you understand worship. There's a power that is inherent in the presence of God. When he's here, the Lord is able to move, to heal, to touch, to restore, cast demons out. People are delivered in the presence of God. Jesus said, when you cast demons out, tell them the kingdom has come. When you heal people, tell them the kingdom has come. But when you worship the Lord in an atmosphere of praise, where you are declaring everything, putting everything on the table and worshiping him, things begin to change. See, our problem is that we understand the context of a ch- worship in a church service, but we don't quite understand what worship is. In fact, we label the slower songs worship and the faster songs, what do we call it? Praise. That's right. I mean, we do indeed bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Yes, yes. Enters gates with thanksgiving, enters courts with praise. Right. Absolutely. But there's more to it than that, that, which I'm hoping that if I can help you, and I'm preaching to myself, this is a revelation the Lord had to give me to truly understand the presence of the living God. When you encounter the presence of the living God, you can't help yourself, but you will be flat on your face worshiping his presence. I'm hoping this morning by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this message, you'll get it because I'm, I'm a flawed vessel. And I tell people this, you know, the Bible says that a donkey carried Jesus, the presence of God, and people began to worship Jesus. I hope the donkey doesn't think that they're worshiping the donkey. No, they're worshiping Jesus. I'm just the donkey. I'm going to carry the presence of God to the best of my ability. What is worship? If I ask that question of a group of people, and I've taught this in our foundations class, and yes, I will get you certificates as well. You would understand what worship is because we talked about it. But for the most part, that moment when I give that question, what is worship? There is a stunned look of silence on people. And they're thinking, well, isn't that that the the slow songs on a Sunday? Isn't that worship? I want to tell you, and those that attended Foundations class, worship extends way, way beyond anything like that. David Platt, a pastor of the United States, he gives us brilliant example of worship. And he says this, and I'm going to invite you for a moment to close your eyes, and I want you to picture what I'm saying. Just close your eyes for a moment. Imagine that you are a visitor from another country, and you're observing the ritual of church and football. Which is the religion that most excites this people? You don't know what football is. You don't know what church is. You've come for the first time. You're trying to observe. What is the religion that consumes this people? 
It wars for our, our affection. It wars for our time. It wars for money. But you have been invited from overseas and you have the opportunity to spend a season in Brisbane. Most slowly rise and head for a building they call a church. They groggily approach that building for some sort of ceremony. Clearly, whatever happens at that ceremony is not important because most of the people don't come until after it has started. That's why I asked you to close your eyes, you know, looking at each other. And they begin to file in. And they mouth the words to songs. Many of them are most expressionless, virtually emotionless, after which they sit down and passively listen to someone talk to them for a period of time as you're doing now. You see, most of them are fidgety, uneasy, as the time for the ceremony is almost over. Afterwards, you hear them talking about what happened the previous day. They laugh and they smile as they recount another ceremony that happened on another Saturday. And so your curiosity is piqued and you eagerly anticipate the coming Saturday ceremony with them. They wake up and dress in special outfits for these types of days. Many of them drive out of the city, some an hour east and some an hour north to what they call hallowed ground. They come early for this ceremony, way early, where they eat, drink, laugh, and play, not just with their family, but with complete strangers. You've never seen community like this. And when the time comes, they all enter tens of thousands into the shrine where they raise their voices with passion over some assembly of young athletes and they chant, yell, and sing until they are voiceless. They don't seem to be aware of time. In fact, they get super excited when the ceremony goes into overtime. Something long like this is a sign of really, a really exciting game. And there's even more, because back home in Red Bank Plains, watching the game on a large screen TV designed to make it look like they're actually there, the party goes on until late that night before everyone eventually goes to bed. Open your eyes. Which would you identify as the religion most important to these people? Which would you identify as the God they loved the most. King David in Psalm 84, verse 2. He was a man after God's own heart. That's how it's described. That even before he was a king and he was just a shepherd boy, 12, 13 years old, out in the field, he was very skilled in playing an instrument and he would sing these songs that would change the atmosphere around him until he's actually piercing the atmosphere of heaven. As he's listening to conversations, it's said in the New Testament of David that he was a prophet. A prophet. He wasn't known as a prophet. He was a prophet. Because in his worship, it was so extravagant that he broke through the atmospheres of this earth and he began to hear conversations in heaven. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
He didn't make that up. He's listening. He's watching this conversation so lost in worship. See, worship is a great commodity in the kingdom. It's very, very important. It's like currency. Worship is currency in heaven. Some say it's faith. I say it's worship. God created four seraphim, four angels. Like all the angels worship God, but there were four seraphim, the most mightiest of the angels who can actually come near to the presence of God and survive. They have six wings, two wings to cover their eyes, two wings to cover their feet and their body, and two to fly. And they're the closest to the presence of God and still exist and live. They need those wings to be able to cover them so they can live in heaven. I'm trying to picture this, and I'm not going to do it justice. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. <laughs> they didn't have skin like we did. It's just eyeballs all around, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come day and night, day and night, night and day. Holy, holy, holy. Whenever the seraphim who are singing again right at that throne, it's a great honor, whenever they worship, it doesn't say they sang. It just says, this is what they say. It's worship. It affects the people around them. The closest people next to that throne are 24 elders. Look what happens to them. Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. The Bible tells us that they take their crowns. They are elevated to positions of leadership in heaven. Human beings, right? So beating to the Lord, they elevated the 12, sorry, 11 plus Matthias. Apostles are sitting on those thrones. I, I venture must be the, the 12 patriarchs of Israel. I don't know for sure. 24 elders are up there. They've got crowns on their head. The moment the angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is revealing a facet of his glory. See, I, I don't think you fully appreciate, I know I don't, fully appreciate the awesomeness of our God. You've put him, I have put him in a box, and I pull him out whenever I need him. That's what we usually do, you know? You, you know those folks, they come to church when they need God, things are going real bad, and they come along, oh, God, I need you. Come out of the box, oh, God. Answer my prayer, the genie who answers all. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Oh, God, I love you, I love you. Don't can I have what I want? That's not what it means. There must be a reason why God would create four seraphim, these mighty, mighty angels, to worship him 24-7. You see, we're, we're also designed to worship God. All creation is designed to worship God. I was looking up, there are like nine different Hebrew phrases. That, it doesn't actually have the word worship in Hebrew. Bruce, you can correct me on this, but it's got descriptions of the worship. One of them is to clap. 
Did you know when you're clapping your hands are worshiping? I was reading the Bible about claps. When you're cursing someone, you think it's someone's an idiot. <laughs> Back in the day, they would clap. <laughs> and the Bible says to the prophet, I think it was Jeremiah, I want you to prophesy and clap <laughs> to the nations. It's a term of ridicule when you clap. When you're clapping, the enemy is being ridiculed. Why do you think we're getting you to clap in church during our quote-unquote worship? You are, <laughs> you are humiliating the enemy. You're saying, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> and every time he's recoiling because you recognize the authority of him who lives forever and ever and ever, who has never, who has always existed. He's always been there. Satan himself was one of these seraphim who fell. The Bible says, I wasn't going to go into this. His body was covered with gold gems. Pretty much like the ones that the priests of Israel had, only nine of them, whereas the priests had 12. And his body was created in such a way that he made sounds whenever he spoke. He had like flutes and horns. Did you know that? Lucifer was one of the worshipers of heaven. And whenever he spoke, music would come out. Presumably, these seraphim, music's coming out. I don't know. But we know that that's what happened with Lucifer, the fallen angel. And it went to his head. He was the donkey, but he thought he was the God. <laughs> he thought, I'll ascend, my, I'll ascend my throne above his. I'm going to take him down off that mountain. God cast him out. Everything and everyone is designed to worship. So I kept looking up that word clap. And the Bible says the trees will clap their hands. The stones will clap. What? Every living being, everything that exists on this planet that God made, will give glory to him and worship him. I don't think those heaters will worship him, but while well, you're worshiping it right now, they're thanking God for the heater. It's just so good. They can't worship the Lord, but a rock, a stone can worship God, according to the Bible. The mountains and the hills sing. Sing. They sing. Stars sing. This star song, it actually exists. NASA has captured it. Star song. Some of them are rhythm. That's all they, that's the sound they make. Others make a sound like a piano keyboard, uh, an organ. It presses one tone. It's the most extraordinary thing. All of creation is humming and singing and clapping and making rhythm to the Lord. And because we're such finite, tiny little beings on this planet, who are not God, who can appreciate every single sight and sound of everything that ever exists on this planet, and all making this melody. What song are they singing? God, you're amazing. God is amazing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and is to come. And we walk oblivious on this planet to this living God. Worship is the appropriate response to His worthiness. If you realize how amazing He is, and, how, and if you realize your future is in his hands, the Bible says, don't fear men who can kill you. Fear instead God who holds you above hell. He can drop you into hell. But we, we are so oblivious to the presence of God. You know you're worshiping all the time. We don't, we don't need lessons on how to worship. We're already doing it. I have to look it up. Merriam-Webster gives, gives us four definitions for worship. Some of them were repeated, so I got four. Here's, here's the first one. To honor or show reverence for a divine being or supernatural power. Now, that's the worship I'm expecting. That's the definition I understand, right? In church, you worship a divine being, but the next one's 
sort of blew my mind. The second meaning is to regard with great or extravagant respect. So when you worship, it's not just, I worship you, I worship you. No, it's saying extravagant respect, extravagant honor, extravagant devotion. If he really is God over your life, it will demand extravagant. You can't help it. So you think that I get to choose. No, if he really is God over your life, you can't help yourself. But when we're singing these songs, you are on your face. It it demands it. But look at the definition. To regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, devotion. But it doesn't say to whom. It doesn't add the word divine being. So who are you respecting, honoring, devotion? That's the choice you have. The third definition, it says, extravagant. Look at that word again. Extravagant respect or extravagant admiration or devotion to an object. An object. So it's telling you, (laughs) this is not the Bible. This is just Merriam-Webster's dictionary. It's telling you that if you cannot place God in the throne over your life, if you cannot appreciate how great he really is, your affection is going to be for an object or your affection is going to be for someone or something else. In fact, we have made worship a commodity in the church. We sell CDs. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing. I, I love having access to so many worship songs. It is wonderful. I love it. I'm just so broken. I'm listening like that song when I heard Cody Carn sing it for the first time. Nothing else will do. I don't want your blessings. I don't want that. I mean, it's going to be great. It's awesome. I just want you. I just want you more than anything else. Nothing else on this planet will ever do. I can't take you past this lifetime. This is all I've got. I want you. Worship is so accessible that we've become worship connoisseurs comparing one church to another, one conference music to another, one artist to another. We criticize if the church doesn't measure up to that performance level because we expect more. Or we criticize the church for the song choices it makes. The songs are too modern. The songs are too fast. The songs are too slow. The song, the guitar is too loud. The bass is too loud. And we criticize and we criticize. I refuse to worship today. We don't say that out loud. We made the decision in our head. I'm not going to worship. No, no. You don't understand. If you are bringing <laughs> this understanding, if you are picturing him on that throne, you realize your destiny hangs in the balance. You are desperate, and you can't help yourself. You worship the deity. You worship him. But instead, we're worshiping other things. Perhaps this accessibility through the Internet to all kinds of music has made worship a form of porn. Worship porn where you are listening to all these amazing, extravagant worship that when you come home, you disrespect the worship there because it's not good enough. That's what they do with porn, isn't it? Better looking women than your wife, and you're comparing, and oh, she doesn't satisfy me anymore. I need something more. Isn't the relationship we have with God an actual relationship? Doesn't it say that God is a jealous God? 
Doesn't he call it adultery when you worship things other than God? Because he's telling you, I want an intimate relationship with you. I don't want you to stand from afar. And I don't want you just to worship me just because I'm the creator God. I want to have relationship with you. When you pray, don't pray, almighty creator of the universe, the uncreated one who has existed forever and ever and ever. He's saying, I just want you to call me dad. What's the Hebrew word for father? Not Abba, that's daddy. What's the Hebrew word for father? It's another word. Of. Okay? When Jesus taught them how to pray, he didn't say, of, father, father, father in heaven. We call him father in heaven. Jesus actually used the word, Abba, daddy, God. Because he's saying, I want you to get so intimate with me. I want to have relationship with you. Here's a fourth definition according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. A person of importance. Used as a title for various officials such as magistrates and some mayors. Don't we call him Lord Mayor? You can also call him Your Worship. So we call people worthy of our respect, Your Worship. But when was the last time you called the creator of the universe, the creator of every known and unknown thing, both seen and unseen, Your Worship? You're very quiet this morning. I think I am out preaching your <laughs> response this morning. Is that or you're like, ah, oh, all right. Got me there, Pastor. Thank you. That's the word of God. Can I keep going? You all right? That's all right. I've got a few minutes. All right. We budget around 25 to 30 minutes to worship every time on a Sunday. 25 to 30 minutes. That's it. To worship God. For some people... That 25 to 30 minutes is all the time that they will spend all week in worship to God. You don't pray. You don't read the Bible. You don't even take time to reflect about his greatness and who he is. You are so busy about your life. You totally forget until you come here 25 to 30 minutes. Can I dig a bit deeper? Is that okay? And then you arrive late. You're 15 minutes late, 20 minutes late. You've just cut down the 25 to 30 minutes into a five-minute worship time, maybe seven minutes if you're lucky. And that's all you get for the week. Is it any wonder you're weak? As a Christian, if you're depending on five to ten minutes of worship for your entire week, that's all that you use to acknowledge the Lord. And you're waiting for the minister of the gospel to pump you up to understand who God is. Ouch. I know it's a bit painful. We're just getting real. We're family, right? Can I, can I do that? Can I provoke you onto love and good deeds? I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay. It's spoken in love. It's the truth spoken in love. It's okay. We'll cry afterwards. <laughs> we'll cry afterwards. Pastor Dave Smithers will hug us. Pastor Tanya will hug us. It's going to be okay. That mean Pastor Paul. <laughs> For others, you arrived. You might have even arrived on time. God bless you. And when you're thinking about the weather, it's so cold. I, I just I can't focus on anything. You, you're thinking about, oh, I got all oh, those jobs I got to do this week and all those things I got to get done today. All oh, the things I got to get done today. What am I going to make for lunch today? All this is happening in a span of seconds, milliseconds. You're thinking about these things and your thought has moved away from the creator of the universe into something tiny. You have just begun to worship a thing, an object, or a person. 
are we intentionally trying to be disrespectful to God? I don't think so. Is it because we couldn't care less about the creator who loves us? I don't think so. I think the reason the church doesn't worship is because you have not made him the top priority of your life. For some of you don't even know him. You encountered him once. You might have seen the religion of your parents, brothers or sisters, but you've never had an encounter with Jesus. You don't have never encountered the Father. And because we don't make him our first priority, we will sacrifice him every single time. I've got something better to do on Sunday morning. Pastor, I can't come because, oh, my family came to visit, so I'm just going to go. See, church, this, this gathering here, it doesn't mean that this is your relationship with the Lord, but it, it's an outward identification that I choose God. Every single week when you come here saying, I choose God. God, I want you to know that you are so special to me. You are so important to me. I will go out of my way to be here with your people who are the church, not the service. The church is you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're the church. Turn to the other neighbor and say, neighbor, I am the church. See, we're thinking it's a service. It's not the service. We don't even have a building at the moment. We will. We will. Church is you and me gathering together with the same understanding this God is so incredible, so amazing, so much greater than we can possibly hope or imagine. Our destiny lies in his hand. And so we say, you are the first of everything I will ever do in my week. You are the first. I will tithe my time for you. You see, until we give him the first priority, every other thing in our lives will consume our time and our affection. Worship is an intentional choice to posture ourselves in humility, lifting him higher and higher and ourselves lower and lower. Not that you're dirt. No, no. It's just a recognition of who he really is. And when you do that, when you worship him, your worship of him becomes higher than a tempting TV binge. Your worship of him becomes higher than the urgent jobs that constantly demand your attention. No, no, no. I, will, I remember one time as a pastor in my previous church, I was so, so, so busy. Not that I'm not busy now. So, so, so busy. I started sacrificing my time, my devotional time with him. I know, I did, I did, I did. Lord, I'm just so busy, I don't have time. And then the Lord's the Lord has a way of speaking back, and it's just uh, okay. It hurts. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You don't have time for me. Wasn't it, Brother uh, Lawrence, who said, "I'm sorry, Martin Luther. I'm too busy. In uh, I'm so busy today, too busy that I have to give him another hour in prayer." The Lord reminded me of that, so I thought, okay. You hired me to do this job to do your work. I'm gonna, but you said I need to. 
pray more. Okay, I'm going to just pray more. I'll forget about this other stuff. You take care of that. I'll take care of this. I spent another hour in prayer because I was so busy. All of a sudden, my time and the fruits of my time quadrupled. I could do more with less time. I achieved more because I spent more time making him my priority. Do you know we preachers, I'm going to finish with this. We'll have to make it. This is going to be a series. We preachers have two goals every Sunday. We do everything in our power to point you to the one who deserves the worship. That's our main job. The second key job that we have is to help you to understand who you really are. You are created with a purpose, on purpose, by this creator of the universe. We're trying to help you understand that. When we truly embrace what worship is all about, it will change not just your 25, 30 minutes here on a Sunday, but it will alter every facet of your life, every minute accounted for, every day accounted for, where you realize every breath I breathe. Didn't God breathe into Adam pneuma, the breath of life, ruach, spirit? Every breath you have is worship to the Lord. His breath in your lungs and you breathe because he lets you live. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.